Welcome to the Road to Seven podcast, guiding and supporting entrepreneurs along their road to seven figures and beyond. Here's your host, Sheila Cummins. Welcome back to the Road to Seven. My name is Sheila Cummins, and I have helped thousands of women entrepreneurs just like you to launch, grow, and scale their business. Today, I want to start by sharing one of my favorite quotes because it completely encompasses my guest today. Here's the quote. Your vocation in life is where your greatest joy and passion meets the world's greatest needs. I don't know who that quote was originally by, but I think it's so powerful. And our guest today is Jennifer Ego from Positively Pets Kids Camp. And she completely embodies someone who matched a passion with a need in the world to create an incredibly successful business. Today, Jen and I sit down and talk a little bit about her road to seven figures and beyond and what those pivotal moments were and how she handled making really brave and bold decisions, usually before she was ready to make them. Have a listen. Today, my guest is Jennifer Ego. She's the founder of Positively Pets Kids Camp. In her early years, she was a camp counselor who had a lifelong passion for pets and animals. This led to a career working with animals and to create Positively Pets. Jen started a charity back in 2006 while working in the veterinary industry. Jen was committed to creating a camp and outreach program that would provide children and adults with all the wonderful animal and pet connections that are so rewarding. She found a way to combine two passions that she had, not only her love of animals, but also to combine it with her commitment to educate children on responsible pet ownership and the wonders of pets and animals. This small and wonderful idea has grown into an opportunity to make a difference in the lives of children and animals and create a lifetime of memories. With the mission of rescue in mind, Jennifer has created a wonderful team of unique rescue animals that make up the Positively Pets team, providing them with an opportunity for a second chance. She has grown Positively Pets by being a three-week summer camp for children in Toronto to having multiple locations running seven to eight different camps simultaneously around Ontario, having one satellite location in Ottawa and being on the verge of opening another one. Please have a listen to Jen Ego as she shares her incredible journey of her road to seven. Hey, Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. I know that you are probably one of the busiest women that I've ever met. I probably just seem busy all the time because I'm a little frantic. (laughs) Frantic seems to have worked. So Positively Pets, tell us a little bit about how this company started, where the idea came from, what got you inspired in the first place? So I started a registered charity for homeless animals in 2006 um, while working my corporate job, and this raised funds for animals in need in Ontario. I used to get a lot of parents emailing me and calling me about their children wanting to volunteer. And all these animals were located in people's homes. There wasn't really a spot for kids to come in and do something. 
Um, so there wasn't really a volunteer opportunity. And the Humane Society and shelters require kids to be 18, and a vet office requires kids to be 18. So when you're 7 and you want to volunteer and you're told you have to be 18, it can kind of put a bit of a damper on everything you want to do, and eventually you sort of lose your passion. So from there, I sort of thought, having taught horseback riding camp as a kid and, and horseback rode competitively, and I didn't have kids of my own yet, is, why isn't there like a pet camp where kids can go and, and learn about pets and animals and, and get to sort of explore their, their love of animals? Um, and as I sort of looked around and tried, started checking it out, there was no pet camp. So I thought, well this is weird. There should be a pet camp. There seemed to be a camp for everything. There was like a sewing camp. There was, you know, soccer camp, hockey camp, everything had a camp. So the idea sort of started there. And um, I worked as a director of sales and marketing in the veterinary industry. And I had said to my boss, I have lots of vacation time and loo time because I traveled a lot. If I took some of my own time and ran a camp for a couple weeks for kids to do animal things and learn about animals and donated all the money back to some agreed upon charities, was he okay with that? Was it a conflict of interest? Was was it okay? And he was okay with it. So, <laughs> so you started as a summer camp. We started as a summer camp and it was sort of two weeks in the summer of 2009 and Back then, uh, I just kind of put it up on my Facebook page and told some friends. Um, I didn't really do any advertising, and I was only going to take 25 kids um, for each of the two weeks, and that sold out. I think it took about two weeks. Oh, wow. um, it was all paper-based. I had all the little forms. People were mailing them to my house. I was cashing checks. I was yeah, Everything was very paper. Um, and then uh, I was asked to go on breakfast television because someone had heard about it, and they said, you know, do you want to come in and talk about it? it was sold out. So I was like, well, it's sold out. I'm not so sure. And kind of not wanting to miss the opportunity. I thought, okay. So I opened up a third week and this week was more specialized as a mini vet camp for kids who were older and wanted to learn about being a veterinarian. So I went on the show and the hours after the show, it was just like endless emails and phone calls and it was full. And then there was a waiting list of like 60 people and then people started calling in October of that year to ask about the next year. And I was—I didn't have kids. I didn't know people signed their kids up for camp like nine to ten months in advance. So it just sort of all started happening from there. Wow. Wow. And so you started as the summer camp. At what point did you shift to permanent location? So I did three years of just summer camp. So the first year was just those first those couple weeks. The second summer, um, I did just one location, actually in the west end of Toronto. And one of the vets that I was friends with had a lower level of his clinic, and we did it down there. And then the third summer, I had two locations. Um, and then the fourth summer, which would have been the fourth summer, I actually took on my own space. Um, and originally was partnering with someone who had the animals and was going to be in the space. And I would just do the camp. She'd pay the rent for the animals and I'd just be there in the summer. And she actually backed out six oh. weeks before camp um, <laughs> was starting in the summer of 2012. She actually said, no, um, I don't want to take on the space, but we'd already signed a lease together. Um, and I was kind of like, okay, but I can't be on the hook for the whole lease. <laughs> and she said, oh, but I still want to come into your animal stuff. But she didn't want to pay the money for the lease we'd agreed upon and signed right. for or do any of the renovations to the space. So with six weeks left, um, my job, I'd left my corporate job and my my job, which was going to only be March break, summers and Christmas, and I was going to stay home with my kids the rest of the year, then became, well, if you're not going to be here and honor your end of the lease, I'm going to compete with you right. <laughs> and I'll get all my own animals and um, and I will do everything you do plus my camp. Right. So I went from op- operating 
maybe a third of the year to yeah. going to operate 365 days right. of the year, seven right. days a week. <laughs> and so all of a sudden it was no longer summer camp. So you had no. to come up with other offerings. How did you right. figure out what to offer? So I already knew that people that were providing me with the animal programs were doing birthday parties and school programs and things like that. So I was already getting those phone calls. So for even this um, individual who's going to partner with me at the time, she was getting all the bookings. People would call me and say, do you do birthday parties? I'm like, yep, here you go. And I would just pass them along. So she had this great revenue stream, right. um, not only from my camp bookings, but from what I was giving her, probably over $100,000 a year wow. <laughs> already. Yeah. So now I just wasn't going to give them away. Right. Now I was so going you just to do myself. them myself. Yep. So I was just <laughs> going to keep them. And um, from there, it sort of was developing silos each year where I wanted to see um, where I could grow the business. So the first year was, okay, I now have 3,000 square feet. I have to pay the rent all year round, not just in the summer. Um, And what am I going to do to get as many people in the door to start things off? So camp and birthday parties, every little camper has a birthday at some point. That was the first target. Um, And then each year I would pick something that here's where I want to grow. And at the time when I started, like camp was 100% of the revenue. And the goal was, you know, at a point for camp not to be more than 50% of the annual revenue. Wow. And so we now when you look at your business model, you've got summer camp, you have birthday parties, there are after school programs. So we have the summer camp, PA days, March break, Christmas camp. We even go so far as we do Passover camps. Um, We have the birthday parties. I have a licensed after-school program. So I originally had an after-school program. And in 2017, the government made big changes. I had to go out and license the whole program. So I had to go through the whole process of becoming a licensed daycare provider. Um, So a world of stuff that I had to learn about. And if I wanted to maintain that program, um, I had to sort of follow through. Good news was we were already kind of doing everything that was required anyways. It was just more writing the 80 plus government policies (laughs) and making them approve them all and and sort of going through that process. Um, We do pet therapy. So we're now partnered with a licensed um, psychotherapist and she also has her master's in social work. And we have kids come in who struggle with self-regulation, anxiety, anxiety, ADHD, and we do group therapy, pet therapy sessions. So she's working with them and we're engaging the animals in the process. We do an active um, seniors program where we go out and do pet therapy in the nursing homes. Fantastic. And we're also doing little caregiver and talk classes at our site. We do a variety of special needs programs where adults with um, special needs come in and learn about caring for the animals, um, those types of things. And then the big thing has been in the last couple of years getting approved with the TDSB to be an approved vendor and some of the other school boards. So now we're also doing um, presentations in the school. So both curriculum based programs and uh, after school and lunch programs that the parent council's book is for. And so that brings in and then we do field trips to our site as well. So if we're going to be open seven days a week, we have to be busy seven days a week. Seven days a week. And are you open seven days a week? 365 days of the year. Wow. Yeah. And so one of the things we were talking about before is you have sort of your one location here, which is great because you and I are neighbors. We live in the area. We're actually recording this podcast, looking at each other in person, (laughs) which is so fun. Um, But it's not just here that you're running Positively Pets. Where's it's How did that whole expansion beyond just here happen? So when I initially started camp, I would bus kids because I was over in the West End. I lived here in Midtown and parents 
that I knew would say, well, I want my kids to go. So we had a, the buses running. And, and when you took the cost of busing per week, even though the parents paid for it, um, it almost made more sense to pay rent somewhere else. Right. And then even if the animals didn't live there, you know, we bring them out to do the presentations throughout the day. So that allowed me to move into a variety of neighborhoods. It took the stress. A lot of like Toronto parents don't put their kids on a bus a lot and they, right. they don't want to put their kids on a bus. So then it was sort of breaking, branching out into what areas of Toronto can I rent space for just say in the summer. Yeah. And I usually start with one or two weeks to mm-hmm. see, will I get enough kids? And does it make sense to add a second week because yeah. I don't want to pay rent for like a half filled week. I'd rather the first week be sold out <laughs> with yeah, a big wait list before sure. I offer another week. Um, and then I just started moving into those neighborhoods. So right. most summers now in the GTA, we run five to six different locations, wow. including the one where the animals live. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in 2011, uh, someone I'd known for a very long time wanted to do my concept out in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So she then, um, we sort of, I guess it was my first sort of thoughts about franchising. It's not quite as formal as that. It's more of an operator's agreement. Um, And I take a sort of percentage of what she does, and she then uses all our resources and things like that. So we have a permanent location in Ottawa that operates all year round, that has animals living there. Um, And that's sort of been the two, the Toronto and the Ottawa site. But she now also does camp every summer in about two to three locations. Wow. Because, again... The busing is sort of a lot more complicated than just finding good neighborhoods to actually run the program in. Yeah. And then hopefully in the spring of next year, I'm looking on taking on another full-time space where they uh, have more animals live just because we're kind of outgrowing our capacity um, in Toronto, more for the mobile program. So I yes. need more animals and they right. need somewhere to live. We've right. been doing camp in Markham now for four years. This space is actually just two doors over from where we do the camp. So I know I have a good audience of people there. So my my risk is really, really low. um, And we do a lot of programs up there already. So amazing. Yeah. What an expansion. And, you know, just to put this on a timeline, you started 2009. 2009, I did the, the camp. Right. So I sort of went at it full-time in June of 2012. 2012. Like, I didn't have my, my job, my mm-hmm. corporate job. I took on a space, and I said, okay, this will be my livelihood. Yeah. So at that point, my son was turning one, yeah. and I just found out I was pregnant with my daughter. Right. <laughs> so, so, so not the ideal time, maybe, to Well, there's to nothing <laughs> quite like trying to build a business with two kids under the age of three. Yeah. How did you... I've got so many questions. How did you balance, you know, little, little kids at home and a very, very demanding business? So in the beginning, I mean, the animals are, they have a lot of needs. So it's kind of like having small children all the time. And in the beginning, I I had myself and one part-time staff. So I would go in and I would clean cages. I would answer the phone. I would do the bookings. I'd go out on the bookings. And then when I was pregnant with my daughter, as I got so pregnant, it was hard to sort of be down on the ground with kids and presenting. Um, My part-time staff became a full-time staff. I hired another part-time staff um, to kind of pick up what I couldn't do, which isn't ideal because it was obviously coming off my paycheck because I was going to pay someone else to do that, but it kind of had to be done. Um, I mean, my daughter came to work with me when she was three days old. She had come to work. (laughs) But I think that that's a really important point is, you know, when you do bring on those first few people, there is profit sharing that happens. It does mean that there's less left over. But it's just kind of a part of how it, it works. In those early days, like, there's only so much you can do. Like, at that point when my son, when I was just newly pregnant with my daughter and my son was, you know, just turning one, I was probably working 60 to 70 hours a week. Wow. Um, like, I would, I had an amazing nanny 
that only worked part time though. She was nine to two every day. Yes. So I would, you know, go to work during those times. I'd come home and be with my son. And once he went to bed at seven o'clock, I would work most nights to like right. 11 or 12 o'clock, right. get up and we do it all over again. And, but it just had to be done. There's yeah. no one else to do the work. And yeah. at that point, um, from a financing standpoint to pay someone else to do the work was just a little bit too much too to yeah. be able to keep, you know, the nanny part time and do all those things. Um, so it just kind of had to be done. And even when I was so pregnant with my daughter and couldn't do some of the things anymore, it hurt to have to yeah, pay someone else for sure because it was meant I was making less money. Um, but it was temporary. And at the same time, when I couldn't be doing those things and had to pay someone else, I knew I had to be out there building up more things in my funnel mm-hmm. to do programs elsewhere. And it actually allowed me when I could actually, you know, tear the bandaid off and say, I'm going to pay someone to do this, even though it's killing me because yeah. I'm going to make less money. Mm-hmm. Um, it allowed me though the time to sit down and make the silos of where I wanted to grow, how I was going to grow, and actually take the time to start connecting and reaching out to those people and marketing to them and following up. Because when I was so busy doing all the other stuff, I couldn't do that. You couldn't do it. You can't do it. And then it takes, you know, six to nine months to see anything happen from all those like phone calls and emails and follow-ups and proposals, which is painful too. Right. So there is definitely, as you grow, there's always what I call those moments, and they usually last six to 12 months, yeah. of extreme pain, yes. <laughs> where you're growing so much and you're at sort of a tipping point where you have to add someone, but it's going to be financially a little uncomfortable it's or risky. even painful, sure. um, but you have to kind of do it in order to move on to the next level. And in my case, I didn't have a choice. Right. I physically could <laughs> Which I was so pregnant. I, I physically couldn't. <laughs> so then because I felt panicked, it forced me to go out and try and find more business. Yeah. But, you know, it's almost a blessing that you were forced to hire um, because I do think that we usually 99.9% of the time have to hire before we're ready. And it's, it's terrifying to be, you know, committing to someone knowing that you're paying for their livelihood, you're the provider, the meal provider for them, when really you're still just fighting to provide for yourself. How were you able to to build that resilience or the trust or what allowed you to just keep going knowing that you were making the right decision? I mean, part of it was I had, I honestly had no choice. No choice. Like it had to happen. Right. Um, it was a conversation at home, even with my husband that, okay, as of right now, I'm going to make less money like yes. because I have to pay someone else. Right. And this is a little painful yes. and I get it. It's a little painful. I can't fix it right now. It just has to happen this way. Um, and it just did. And so for me, I felt the panic that I then had to be, you know, I had this much time to find more business. I had this yeah. little opportunity before the baby yeah. was born and these things, and I had to get the stuff out there. Um, and I already knew, like, I'd be bringing a baby to work with me most yeah. of the time because yeah. I already had a nanny at home with, like, at the time my son was going to be, like, 18 months old yeah. and to leave a brand-new baby there, too. So I already knew that my I would go through another six-month period where my work opportunities would be limited again. Right. Um, and, you know, there was always that kind of sort of underlying anxiety about, is there enough of me for two small children and my staff who actually need direction and kind of need me there. Having your own business, there is something to be said for being there. Mm -hmm. Um, Things happen differently when you're there. I have great staff. They're amazing. A lot of them have now been with me a really long time. They know my brain. They know the way I think. They know the way I want things done. So they're like 99% effective all the time. Yes. But when they're newer... Even they're just getting to know how you think. And they, they generally can make great decisions and they're not catastrophic decisions when they're slightly different than the way I would do it. But there is something for a lot of my customers having me there. Right. I am a lot older than all of them. Yes. <laughs> so I'm the grown up. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and people like that. And even all these remote locations, there's something to be said 
for me getting out to each and every single one of them. And then that's as I plan to, to do more remote camp locations is do I have the time? Yeah. Because I have to kind of get there. And even now I have some girls who have worked for me for four or five years. They're pretty good. I can get them out there. They are now grownups. They look like grownups. They don't look like they're, you know, fresh out of university. <laughs> and uh, yeah. And so they can get there. But there is something to be said for like, I'm really, really involved. Yeah. And I send out I send out daily overviews if I'm not there of, hey, here's when you're working. Here's what you're doing. Here's how it's happening. Um, and for some staff, it's really, really helpful to keep them on track. And other staff say, say oh, Jen, you don't need to send all this info. Right. And I say, but you know what? If I send it all. I feel better. Right. It takes my anxiety away because I know I've, I've explained it all. And there's no, like, you know, you're not second-guessing yourself. You don't want to disturb me because I told you I'm taking the day off or I'm taking my kids to the doctor or whatever. You yeah. kind of have a resource there. Um, and I do it every day. I go on vacation. Wow. It takes me about two hours to yeah. write every single one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so there really is, if we look at your job right now, most of it is that leadership role. I'm the quarterback. You're the quarterback. I'm the quarterback. I still go out and I'm the one who every year I say, here's my target of where I want to grow my business. And it's usually my primary target. Like this year, I'm, you know, going to really focus on, we're really developing our pet therapy program, more focused on kids with anxiety Mm -hmm. and things like that. And Mm -hmm. we're running camp programs for that. And Mm -hmm. that's sort of, you know, reaching out to a lot of the mental health and wellness programs so they know that we're doing this. Um, and that, but then what's my underlying one or two sort of silos underneath that? Because if, if I'm, you know, running at that target and it's not really panning out, what else am I kind of pushing forward so that the funnel is full and that six to nine months I see, you start to see things have happened. So let's talk about those six to nine months. You know, you make that higher, you're kind of, you know, sweating it in the background because it's taking a bit of your take home, which we all know we need to have the take home to help support our families. Um, what are those strategic moves that you're focused on? I hear that you're laser clear on what it is you want to develop, but then what are those other moves that you're making, those strategic moves to ensure that the business comes? Where does your focus go? So it starts with sort of what's the marketing plan to market to those sort of areas that I'm looking at um, for a lot of things as I've grown into certain markets. So for a lot of the school boards, um, they actually have all these sort of, you can find them if you dig around enough, but like approved lists that you have to get mm-hmm. on. You pay to get on them, but then you have to put in all the paperwork and all these other things. So finding out, and every school board's different. Right. And then it's the networking with, so as much as you get approved, if you're not networked with the parent councils or the teachers, Nobody even knows you're on there. Right. Um, so then, do they know you? Do they, do they know that you're there? So right. starting to attend, and, and the TDSB has a fair number of them. The other boards aren't quite as organized as that, but they have um, like trade shows right. where the parents come from the parent councils, and mm-hmm. you have the opportunity to, you know, sort of be there and explain what you do and things like that. So I've started to try and look at more and more trade show opportunities. They're expensive. Like yeah. they're, and the TSB ones are on the cheaper end of sure, things. Sure. But as we get into long-term care and some of the psychological um, and the mental health ones, you know, they're big outlays. And I'm like, oh God, as I try and start to pick them, is this the right one to go to? And then I know it's going to take six to 12 months for me to see anything from it. Right. And it's a pretty big investment. Um, to get there. So not only, you know, have a booth set up, pay the fees to be there, and then pay staff to stand there. And really, at the end of the day, I kind of need to be there every single day for the entire show, because I'm really the one, if someone throws an idea and says, oh, do you do something like this? Even if we've never done something like that, if it sounds like it's something we can do, I will say yes. Right. Yes, we can do that. Figure it out. We'll figure it out after. But I feel like that has sort of (laughs) been your your, um, modus operandi, if you will. That's how you've worked since the beginning. You know, I was asking you before about, you know, what were the 
the beliefs that you had to rewire when you saw that seven figures and well over seven figures was in your sights? You know, what did you have to re-engineer? And I loved your answer. And I think I'd love for you to tell us what your answer was. I didn't even really think about the seven figures. Like it just started kind of happening and I never really focused on it. It wasn't even, I wouldn't even say it was a goal that I said, oh, I want to get here. My goal every year is to keep growing. So every year I'm like, oh, I want to keep growing. Here's where I want to grow. Um, You know, I want to add this much more money to my pocket. I want to have this be this much more profitable. Right. Um, And that's always been sort of what I've looked at. So I never really thought about it. It was like suddenly one year. We were doing our tax, my annual taxes, and I went, "Oh my god, we did so much business last year! Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, we we, we grew, did we did it, and we yeah. actually tipped over that number, which I wasn't right. that wasn't on. I didn't think we would that year, and I was surprised, and I was like, oh, but it didn't. So it didn't govern how I was operating. It, yes. it didn't hold me back. I wasn't scared of it because I didn't really think about it. Right. And then at the same time, I wasn't really chasing it. I was just chasing constant growth, constant growth. And so. I think that's a really important differentiator because I think often we get hung up on the number that we're making, and we're not looking at what are the opportunities that are around? What are some things I could say yes to and not know how to build? You know, what are some other areas I'm not seeing? What does growth look like? Because we get so hung up on the numbers. So I think that's really refreshing. And and thank you for sharing that. Well, I think there's so many things you can do with the animals. And I I think sometimes I haven't thought of all the things. So even the stuff we're doing with the psychologist now and the anxiety programs for kids and stuff like that, it kind of just happened. It was kind of like there seemed to suddenly be this big push. You saw it at the schools and stuff, mental health and wellness and awareness and all these things. Some of the universities and colleges were calling us to come in and do like de-stress events. Right. As it was exam time, we were just taking the animals in and, and you know, young just people, 18 out. to 22, were just coming to hang out. Wow. And I was like, oh, okay. So this is something, you know, that's happening. And in the last couple of years, even it's just happening more and more. We just yeah. see it unfolding more and things like that. So, you know, suddenly that opportunity was there. And so it's like when someone asked me, well, could you do this? If I'm like, would this be enjoyable? Would the animals like it? Would the people like it? Is it safe? Yes. If the answer is yes, yes, we can do that. Absolutely. Yeah. We can I do that. It. That's probably a great idea. I love it. You're like yeah. the poster child yeah. for building the plane <laughs> as it flies. Yeah. Uh, what's been your biggest lesson over your last 10 years? I think one of the biggest lessons has been being able to delegate yes. and being able to bring more people in. Yes. And, and even when it's scary, um, there are things I do really, really well. And there's a long list of things I don't do well. Mm-hmm. And when you're small and you have to do the big list of things you don't do well, um, it impacts your own like well-being because you stress about the stuff you don't do well. And then you can't spend time on the stuff you do well. Yeah. And for me, the stuff I do well is generating business, right. which means I grow and I make more money and I have more staff and my staff makes more money. Um, so when I get dragged down by the stuff I don't do well, yeah. which can take up my whole headspace when I'm sure. stressed out about it, um, it just ruins everything. So right. getting people in to do the stuff I don't do well um, is, is huge and it, it makes me more successful. And it's so scary. Well, yeah, because I'm like, well, you know, and those are the things I'm always putting off and doing at 10 o'clock at night, which is the worst time to do it. (laughs) And I already kind of, I'm terrible at it. And then I have to go and and do it. And then I don't want to do it. So I procrastinate it. And then you get behind and it's not organized the way it should be. Um, And they're usually things like paperwork and things like that, which is no problem until it suddenly becomes a problem. And so having the right people managing those things and fixing those things. um, I've always said when I was a director of sales and marketing, when I was a sales manager, and I say it to my team now, 
I don't need your weaknesses to ever become your strengths, Mm -hmm. but I do need your weaknesses not to keep you from succeeding. So I have to follow the same plan myself, right? Right. So the things that I'm not great at, so like I'm not great at getting into QuickBooks and doing all my QuickBooks stuff and filing my HST return and organizing all my receipts. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I was going to be a good accountant. I probably would be better have to become an accountant then. Um, But those things, I'll never be good at. They'll always be my weaknesses. But there's lots of people out there that are really good at it. And I just need to find those people and have them make my business good at it. And I don't need to really be that involved. Um, But then I have to pay the money and I have to... But those things are important. And they're the first things you kind of push to the bottom of the pile (laughs) because they're not a problem until they're a problem. So, you know, they're not a problem until maybe you get audited or something like that. But then you panic and then it takes up all your headspace with anxiety and Mm -hmm. panic and all the other stuff that happens. So um, I don't need that to ever become my strength, but it needs to be a manageable weakness, meaning I need to have all the right things in place to make sure that that's, you know, not a big gaping hole of, <laughs> of doom of for doom. us. So. Yeah, I love it. Just quickly before I let you go, and I will let you go after this question, what prepared you for this journey that you've been on? You know, you're spending your time leading your team, you're hiring, you're making bold moves, you're expanding, you're focused on the growth. What has prepared you and allowed you to be on this journey so powerfully? So I think everything I did prior, like I, w- I went, so I graduated with a degree in psychology. I used to counsel um, people that had mental health issues and had special needs. Wow. Um, I did that for a few years and said, wow, like I was getting punched and kicked and spit on. And I'm like, I'm not making enough money to do this. <laughs> so the, my thought process was I'm either going to go do my master's in social work and like become a therapist or I'm not. And so before I wanted to decide, I said, I'm going to go out and try something else. And, and my dad actually said... Why don't you try going into sales? Like you like people, mm-hmm. you know, you like doing and you and why don't you just try it? So he said, find some of the biggest companies to go work for, and this was back in the nineties, late nineties, and, and you know, get out there. So I applied to Xerox and IBM and a few places and I got a sales job with Xerox. And they pack you up and send you away for three weeks to like boot camp to learn how to sell stuff. And it's basically drink our Kool-Aid, this is how we do things. <laughs> and if you follow the the Kool-Aid, if you drink it and you do it, it actually works. Right. And if you remember to ask for help along the way, and I remember my first sales manager saying to me, Tim would always say, I'm always here to help you. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't mess up a deal. Bring me. He goes, we'll, we'll get all the deals. And I, you know, came out of training and I would run around Toronto selling photocopiers. And at the time it was just net, just starting to network copiers and printers and everybody get rid of your old one, you know, get the new network one. And I just ran around and every time it was time to close a deal, I just called Tim right right away. First three months, all I did was take him with me. And he goes, you know, you can now do this by yourself. I'm like, just come. <laughs> and I went, I was rookie of the year. I sold more copiers and network printers than anybody else. And I made yeah. more money than I could have ever imagined. Right. But I always asked for help and I always followed, I followed sort of what we learned. And that was really the foundation for everything we've done and and everything I've done now and everything I did then when I became a manager, when I became a director. Mm -hmm. um, And I'm not really afraid to take risks. If anything, sometimes I should maybe be more afraid. I think as I'm getting older, sometimes I'm a bit more, a bit more cautious. But when I was younger, I was, I was like, let's do it. We can do this. Um, I don't like to take a no from someone who can't give me a yes. Right. 
I so, yeah. So when you go out, when I meet people and, you know, I'm talking to people about doing this and they're like, oh, well, you know, I don't really know. And I'm like, oh, this person can't say yes anyways. Right. And I'll keep talking to them and entertaining them. But meanwhile, I need to find out who's the person behind them that really has the final say right. to say yes. Um, yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you for joining no us today. What great. So many takeaways for us. If you want to learn more about Positively Pets, go to PositivelyPetsKidsCamp.com. You'll find them at Positively Pets Kids Camp on Facebook and Instagram. And if you're interested in having Positively Pets come near to your area or learn more about Jen, uh, connect with her on any of your favorite social media channels and uh, get on her newsletter list so that you can be up to date on what's happening as she grows. Jen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Road to 7 podcast. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. To learn more, visit SheilaCummins.com for more support along your road to seven figures and beyond in your business. See you next time.